part of the Press Play Podcast Network. Chapter 11, Murdoch, Privilege, Power, and Secrets, Part 2. Editor's Note. In Part 1 of this series, I incorrectly dated the death of Paul and Maggie Murdoch as June 7, 2019. The correct date is June 7, 2021. Previously on the Hyman Podcast. If you haven't listened to Part 1 of this series, My recommendation is that you stop right now and listen to the previous episode. There's a lot of background information that you'll miss if you listen starting from this point. If you're okay with spoilers and not having all that background information, feel free to keep listening. But I highly recommend that you check it out. So in the previous episode, we talked about Paul Murdoch in the morning of February 24th, 2019. The morning when, on the way home from a party, an egregiously drunk Paul crashed his father's speedboat beneath Archer's Creek Bridge, killing 19-year-old Mallory Beach. That was the beginning of the end for both Paul and his father, Alex Murdoch. We also talked about how Paul got to walk around a free man, and how it took nearly two months before he was charged with a crime. Well... His freedom didn't last long, because two years later, after the arraignment, while he was awaiting trial, he and his mother were killed at the family's hunting lodge. That's about the time things really started to go south for Alex. And that is where our story picks up today. From the Hyman blog and the Press Play Podcast Network, I'm J.D. Hyman. As a black man living here in America, I am living proof that while all men were created equal, not all men are equal. We're here to dig into the American political system, explore and unearth experiences from the human condition, and be a catalyst for some hard conversations that need to be had, conversations that demand to be had. No matter what brought you here, I'm glad you came. Once again, my name is JD, and this is the Hyman Podcast. Part one, a man on a lonely road. History has shown us a lot of things, but one of the most prevalent things it's shown us is that money can buy you just about anything. It can buy you power, influence, protection, favor, and sometimes it can buy you a get-out-of-jail-free card. That is exactly what money was able to buy for Paul Murdoch the night his drinking while boating caused a boat crash that led to the death of Mallory Beach. But Paul didn't actually pay for his get-out-of-jail-free card. You see, his family's influence did. Paul Murdoch was the youngest son of Alex and the late Maggie Murdoch. The Murdoch family has held power and influence in Hampton County, South Carolina for well over a century. The community is well aware of the Murdoch family. They're well aware of their reach, their power, their pedigree. The Murdoch name can be found all across the low country and especially across Hampton County proper. It's a name that means something. 
and one that carries a certain weight. It's a name that has the ability to marshal untold resources, to do good, and in some cases, to do bad. It's a name that is both respected and feared, and to some extent, it's a name that everybody knows. In recent years, however, things haven't been all that good for the Murdoch family. In fact, over the course of the past couple of years, the family has slowly fallen from grace, one scandal followed by the next. The completely avoidable accident that took the life of Mallory Beach was a result of elitism and hubris. Paul inherited it his father's pride, who inherited it from his father, who inherited it from his father. Really, Paul never said a chance, but that doesn't absolve him of any wrongdoing, and it absolutely doesn't absolve him of responsibility. His parents knew he was a drunk, and still yet, they let him live his absolute best life. Paul had the kind of privilege you can only be born into, the kind that you never had to work for. I imagine he was given just about everything he ever wanted. I imagined he was never told no. Mallory's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against a number of people, including Paul, but also named in the lawsuit is the store that sold alcohol to him. He's a Murdoch. He's Paul Murdoch. I can imagine they knew exactly who they were selling alcohol to. You see, he abused alcohol. He abused the system, he abused his girlfriend, and quite frankly, he abused his friends. But that doesn't mean he deserved to die, especially in the way that he did. Paul is the result of Alex and Maggie. He is the product of wealth. As evidenced by his father's actions in the emergency room that morning, Privilege and power tells this story all too well. When your son crashes a boat, you have to do any and everything possible to make sure that he doesn't take responsibility for his actions. Alex went so far as to obstruct justice, and yet these people were allowed to just walk away scot-free. But the thing about power and influence is that when the well dries up, you'll find it pretty difficult to buy yourself anything. And when long-hidden secrets start to boil to the surface, you'll take drastic measures to make sure they never see the light of day. When Alex's secrets came back to haunt him, he saw only one way out. Hire a hitman. And now to more breaking news, this about that double homicide investigation, two members of a South Carolina family. State investigators have reopened a separate death investigation from 2015 in connection with the deaths of Paul and Margaret Murdoch. Investigators say Stephen Smith died in a hit and run on Sandy Run Road in Hampton County. Now, we're still working to find out what connection his death might have with the Murdoch's case, but the state law enforcement division says information gathered in this case caused them to reopen the other one. Meanwhile, no arrests have been made in the case of the Murdochs. They were found dead back on June 7th. While investigating the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch, many revelations came to light. The case sparked interest from a lot of people, even on a national scale, so much so that on June 21st, 2021, SLED, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division and premier investigative body, released a trove of documents related to the case. 
Most of the files released were supplemental police reports and most of the documents were heavily redacted. And while there was nothing special in the files they released, you do get a glimpse of the grisly scene. The troubles of Alex Murdoch were just beginning. Two days later, SLED released another update on the case. Another revelation in the wake of the investigation into Maggie and Paul's killing. This time, a hit-and-run cold case from 2015. SLED had found a possible Murdoch connection, and in the interest of prudence and transparency, opened an investigation. Early in the morning on July 8, 2015, a man on his way to work spotted the body of Stephen Smith on Sandy Run Road. The body was in the middle of the road. He presented with a laceration that was consistent with a gunshot wound, according to the coroner. One report described it as a large gaping hole. However, the forensic pathologist who conducted the autopsy hypothesized that he could have been struck by a mirror from a large truck. Two state highway patrolmen, Corporal M.E. Duncan and Lance Corporal Todd Proctor, vehemently disagree with the pathologist's findings. Lance Corporal Proctor indicated that in his 15 years on the force, he had never seen a hit and run in this manner. He indicated that his body was placed there as if the scene was staged to appear like a hit and run. One report said that there was no evidence to suggest this was a hit and run. In fact, it was more consistent with a homicide. Again, he was lying in the middle of the road, the contents of his pockets a phone and wallet just barely hanging out. His arm was dislocated and bent behind him. There was no broken glass, no broken or sheared off plastic, no vehicle parts, no tire marks in the road, nothing. When his car was located three miles away, the gas tank was open and the gas cap was hanging outside the car. A memorial is erected on the side of Sandy Run Road where Stephen Smith was found. A small wooden structure with Stephen's name emblazoned across the front in white lettering. The blue paint is peeling. The grass overgrown. Vines wrap around the beams like a trellis. In the days and weeks leading up to his death, Stephen's family reported that he had been harassed and that he skipped school, which was completely out of character. The last text from Stephen's phone was sent at approximately 3.30 a.m., in which he indicated to the recipient that he was on his way home. If Stephen had run out of gas, why didn't he call his mom or sister? If he was able to send a text to a friend, clearly his phone worked. Why not place a call to his family? His family, in fact, contend that if he had run out of gas, and if he wasn't able to call for help, then it would be completely out of character for him to walk in the middle of the road. Both the responding agency as well as the investigating agency noted that the scene looked a bit strange. Something was out of place, and while to the naked eye it appeared to be a classic car versus pedestrian, the investigators were not sold. In fact, they were certain things were more nefarious than they appeared. But that narrative from the pathologist who performed the autopsy would create an uphill battle when it came to proving the manner and cause of Stephen Smith's death. More on that 
after the break. Hello, Brooks here with the Books with Brooks monthly book club podcast. We read one book a month and then we talk about it. Books like Stephen King's The Shining or Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. If you're on the hunt for book recommendations and enjoy sparkling conversation, come read along with us and then listen in. Want to hear more about your favorite TV shows and movies that are on countless streaming services? Then listen to Up Next with your new favorite hosts, me, Kristen Aviles. And me, Christina Walter. Every other week, we'll highlight one genre, but two movies or TV shows, one old and one new. We'll let you know what's hot and what's not from your favorite or least favorite streaming services. And be sure to stay tuned to the end of each episode where we shout out an artist whose name you should know for their talent in the industry. So follow us to stay up to date with your favorite hosts from Up Next, a part of the Press Play Podcast Network. Part 2. A House of Cards Lance Corporal Proctor met with Dr. Aaron Presnell, the pathologist who performed Stephen's autopsy, and he immediately knew that she had some sort of axe to grind. At first, she blew him off, and then he threatened to call the coroner, and only then did she decide to cooperate or something like it. When asked why she ruled Stephen's death a hit and run, her response because he was found in the road. She made this ruling even though she had zero evidence. As he pressed her further, she began that thing where you ask stupid questions until the person leaves. He asked her if his injuries were consistent with someone who'd been struck by a baseball bat from a moving vehicle. Her response, well, I guess it's possible. It's your job to find out, not mine. It's understandable why the police have no faith in her work, but it's not the first time she's missed glaring pieces of evidence in her casework. See the trial transcript of Province versus SCENG Company. On top of ruling Stephen's cause of death as a hit and run, she also ruled the manner of death as undetermined. How those two things go together is about as confusing as how she holds a medical degree, but that's neither here nor there. Namely because she's making all these assassinations with a grand total of no evidence. In any event, as the investigation continued, one name kept coming up. Buster Murdoch. But what's more, the day Stephen's body was found, Buster's uncle, Alex Murdoch's older brother, Randolph Murdoch IV, called the Smith family and offered to represent them free of charge. Does Randy Murdoch know something about Stephen's death? and a possible connection to Buster? And was he attempting to take some sort of preemptive measure? In small communities like Beaufort and Hampton County, rumors run wild. They infest the community like a disease. And the only way to get rid of an infection like this is to surgically remove it. The Murdoch family have always, to some degree, been part of the rumor mill. And to be honest, I think they like the attention. It gave them power, it gave them standing. In the case of Paul and the boat crash, we saw exactly how far and to what extent Alex was willing to go to protect his son. It's not too much of a stretch to wonder if Buster was involved somehow and if he was. It's also not a stretch to wonder if Alex played a role in derailing the case. 
Steven's case may have run cold, but that's not before tips started pouring in about a possible assailant. On December 7, 2015, one anonymous tip mentioned that three individuals were responsible for his death and that one of the assailants was a Murdoch. The tipster doesn't specify which Murdoch, but Buster's name has popped up so many times in this case, I'm surprised he wasn't brought in for questioning. Another tip from December 18th made mention of a possible witness of who may have struck and killed Stephen. The final tip pointed to someone who said to have played a role in Stephen's death. When pressed about a possible Murdoch connection, the person said they weren't friends with anyone with the last name. Investigators later learned that this individual was actually friends with Buster Murdoch on Facebook. As the investigation continued, Lance Corporal Proctor said the best thing to do is to follow the evidence. After the Murdoch name came up so many times, Proctor decided to pay the family a visit. But he was railroaded, repeatedly. They weren't interested in cooperating at all. Without the evidence to compel an interview, Proctor was left with no choice but to try and solve the case using other avenues, but to no avail. Shortly after, the case ran cold. When the case was finally reopened, his twin sister and mother were overcome with joy. Knowing Stephen and knowing the former state trooper telling them that Stephen's death was staged to look like a hit and run gave them a sense of vindication. While this won't bring Stephen back, at the very least, it can bring them closure. Stephen was described as hilarious, a ray of sunshine in any room he entered. He was always smiling. He loved books. And more than that, Stephen wanted to be a doctor because above all else, he wanted to live in service to others. He was 19 years old. For Alex, the house of cards he was playing in started to tumble, and not just one card at a time. They say when bad things happen to you, it's like a tornado that blows through your life and leaves a wake of destruction in its path. That could not have rang true for Alex Murdoch. His firm, the one that was founded by his family, now called Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Ellsroth, and Dietrich, had accused Alex of misappropriating funds, rumored to have been in the millions. They hired a forensic accountant to investigate, and while that was happening, on September 3, 2021, Alex resigned. His firm posted a single statement on their website, and it was intended to be the only statement they would release to the public. It said in part, Alex Murdoch resigned from the law firm. He is no longer associated with PMPED in any manner. His resignation came after the discovery that Alex misappropriated funds in violation of our standards and policies. A forensic accounting firm will be retained to conduct a thorough investigation. Law enforcement and the South Carolina Bar have been notified. This is disappointing news for all of us. Rest assured that our firm will deal with this in a straightforward manner. As the firm continued to look into the misappropriated funds, they would make some disturbing discoveries. It would seem Alex was funneling money into secret accounts and then using that money to fund his alleged opioid addiction. The firm wasn't interested in going down for Alex's misdeeds and acted promptly to save face. It would seem that Alex used the cover of the firm to handle most of his misdealings, 
and part of that had to do with the amount of power and influence his family's name held, with the firm and the community as a whole. There's a lot to unpack in the case of the Murdoch family, specifically with Alex. While many believe he was a family man with a lot of connections, a certain fear also resonates with many of the residents in Hampton County. This is Anthony Cook, the night of the boat accident that claimed the life of Mallory Beach. He's speaking with police officers in the back of a cruiser. You all know Alec Murdoch? Oh, yeah, I know that name. That's his son. That's so driving the boat. Good luck. He asks if they know Alex Murdoch and explains that the driver is his son. The way he says, good luck, implying that should the need for justice arise, It'd be a hard time and a long way getting there if Paul was proven to be the driver. Before Paul and Maggie were killed, it's also reported that Paul received threats. Threats that started after the boat crash. While Paul would never see the inside of a jail cell, the same couldn't be said for his father, whose luck was running out faster by the day. But that wasn't all. Shortly after his resignation at the law firm, the 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office announced that Alex Murdoch would no longer be involved in its cases, not even as a volunteer. At this point, it's unclear whether or not the cases he worked on are going to be called into question, but I'm sure many of them are going to be getting a second look. As the investigation persisted, other things came to light, including something that would prove to be that proverbial gust of wind that would send Alex's house of cards tumbling to the ground. It would bring to light a massive criminal conspiracy that would drag down just about everyone involved, including Alex's best friend and former college roommate, Corey Fleming, another friend, Chad Westendorf, and possibly a judge, Carmen Mullen. On top of all of that, Alex has been shown to be a horrible person. It turns out he was also willing to exploit the grieving sons of his former housekeeper and nanny, Gloria Satterfield. Gloria Satterfield died a year before Mallory Beach at a hospital after a fall at the Murdoch home. Who knew that the key figure in the demise of the Murdoch dynasty would come from the grave itself? So who was Gloria Satterfield? And how did she die? And how did Alex Murdoch manage to steal nearly $3 million from her estate and by extension her sons? Another death, another piece of an ever-growing puzzle, another wild confession, and an even wilder tale from the book of Alex Murdoch. That's next time on the Hyman Podcast. My name is J.D. Hyman, and this is the Hyman Podcast. I'll see you next time. The Hyman Podcast was written, edited, and produced by myself. Share with guests Whitney Hall and Mary Louise Layton co-produce and research. Cover art and branding by Kevin Aki. The theme music was composed and produced by Jim Yosef with additional music license from Epidemic Sound. The Hyman Podcast is a production of the Press Play Podcast Network. Press Play is staffed by Chase Smith, our CEO and fearless leader. I serve as Chief Operating Officer, and Brooks May is the Chief Creative Officer. To learn more about the network, sponsorships, guest appearances, or if you're interested in launching your own podcast on our network, 
visit us on the web at www.pressplaypodcast.com. To learn more about this podcast, our mission and vision, or for sponsorship information, please visit us on the web at www.jdhyman.com.